Welcome, my name is Pastor Scotty Bockhaus, and we thank you for taking some time to listen to some audio recordings from the pulpit of the Riverview Baptist Church. Our desire is to show the Lord high, holy, and lifted up, as well as try to be a blessing to those through the Word of God. Please enjoy this message, and we pray that it will be a blessing to your life. And if you wouldn't mind to take your copy of the Word of God and turn with me to the book of 1 Kings chapter number 19. The book of 1 Kings and chapter number 19. We are in a series of the ministry and life of Elijah and Elisha. And we are in a portion of scripture that has some of the most exciting, wonderful, powerful stories found throughout the word of God, dealing with the miracles of Elisha and the follow-up miracles of Elijah. And we could see these two uh, prophets used of God. But one of the things that we see sometimes, uh, or that people have in their minds, that these biblical characters that they have no flaws, that they're super Christians. But the Bible actually shows the truth about them. One of the reasons why we believe the Bible is true, because it shows people in all of their flaws. That they're not just super Christians, but they're people like you and me who have to depend upon God by faith, and they have their failures, they have their sins, and may I say, as we see today, they even have their depressions. And through it all, we can see that there's a wonderful God. That even though he exposes the truth about even the, the most used servants he had, we see that they're not trusting in themselves, but they're trusting in a wonderful God. And so we find our way into the book of 1 Kings chapter 19. And if you don't mind, as we turn to 1 Kings chapter 19, notice with me, if you don't mind, starting at verse number 1. 1 Kings chapter 19 in verse 1, the word of God says this, And Ahab told Jezebel all that Elijah had done, and withal how he had slain the prophets with the sword. Then Jezebel sent a messenger unto Elijah, saying, So let the gods do to me, and more also if I make not thy life as the life of one of them by tomorrow about this time. And when he saw that, he arose and went for his life, and came to Beersheba, which belongeth to Judah, and left his servant there. But he himself went a day's journey into the wilderness and came and sat down under a juniper tree and he requested for himself that he might die and said, it is enough. Now, O Lord, take away my life for I am not better than my father's. And as he lay and slept under a juniper tree, behold, then an angel touched him and said unto him, arise and eat. And he looked, and behold, there was a cake bacon on the coals, and a cruise of water at his head. And he did eat and drink, and lay down again. And the angel of the Lord came a second time, and touched him, and said, Arise and eat, because the journey is too great for thee. And he arose, and did eat and drink, and went in the strength of that meat for forty days and forty nights unto Horeb, the mount of God. And he came thither unto a cave, and lodged there. And behold, the word of the Lord came unto him, and said unto him, What doest thou here, Elijah? 
And he said, I have been very jealous for the Lord God of hosts. For the children of Israel have now forsaken thy covenant, thrown down thy altars, and slain thy prophets with the sword. And I, even I only, am left, and they that seek my life to take it away. And he said, Go forth and stand upon the mount before the Lord. And behold, the Lord passed by, and a great and strong wind rent the rock, the mountains, and break in pieces the rocks before the Lord. But the Lord was not in the wind, and after the wind was an earthquake, but the Lord was not in the earthquake. And after the earthquake, a fire, but the Lord was not in the fire, and after the fire, a still small voice. And it was so when Elijah heard it, he wrapped his face in his mantle and went out and stood in the entering of the cave. And behold, there came a voice unto him and said, What doest thou here, Elijah? And he said, I have been very jealous for the Lord God of hosts, because the children of Israel have forsaken thy covenants, thrown down thine altars, and slain thy prophets with the sword. And I, even I, only am left, and they seek my life to take it away. And the Lord said unto him, Go return on thy way to the wilderness of Damascus. And when thou comest, anoint Hazael to become king over Syria. And Jehu the son of Nimshi shall thou anoint to be king over Israel. And Elisha the son of Saphat of <coughs> Abel-Menahola shall thou anoint to be prophet in thy room. And it shall come to pass that he, him that escapeth the sword of Hazael shall Jehu slay, and him that escapeth from the sword of Jehu shall Elisha slay. Yet I have left me seven thousand in Israel, all the knees which have not bowed unto Baal, and every mouth which have not kissed him. And if you're in the habit of marking things in your Bible, will you mark a phrase that we find in the book of 1 Kings chapter 19? The book of 1 Kings chapter 19, and notice with me in verse 7 the phrase, The journey is too great for thee. The journey is too great for thee. And with the Lord's help, I want to preach a message and try to be a help from God's word that the journey is too great for thee. If you don't mind, let's go to the Lord together and let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, thank you again for you being a wonderful God. And not merely are you just a wonderful God, but you're a real God. You're a living Savior who hears and listens to my prayers. You're not a God that's invisible, not a God who's not there, that when I pray, it's not bouncing off the ceiling or I'm not just hoping that the prayers are carried around to the wind and hit something. But I'm talking to a real being. Who cares for us. And because of that. And because of the message here. There are people that need to be helped. People that need to be encouraged. People that need to be strengthened. By your word to realize that it's not us. It's you. And that the journey is too great for us. Again I have no power of myself. I have no oratory skills. To convince people. It must be by your spirit. To get your own work accomplished. To the best I know how. I surrender myself now. And ask that you fill me with your precious spirit. That you can get your own work accomplished through your precious word. Help someone today that needs this. We love you and in Jesus name we pray. Amen. We find Elisha in a different 
predicament in 1 Kings chapter 19 than when we found him in 1 Kings chapter 18. If you remember in 1 Kings chapter 18 was Elisha's greatest victory. That Elisha had originally told Ahab and put his finger in his face and said, listen here, it's not going to rain until I say so. And he disappeared. And at the very beginning, it didn't bother them at all. That was normal. No rain. Okay. And they prayed to their God, Baal. Now remember, Baal was the thunder God. And so what God is proving is that there is no God like the God of the Bible. And so they went to their false God, Baal, and they prayed and they prayed and nothing happened. And the drought went on. It went on one year. It went on two years. It went on three years, three and a half years, and it did not rain. They had prayed to their thunder God, and nothing happened. And finally, God was done hiding Elijah, and he put him up in the forefront. And he went in front of Ahab, and Ahab, of course, said, Are you the one that troubled Israel? And the preacher stuck his finger out and said, listen here, it is you because you won't follow God. It's you that's troubled Israel. I'm not the one that caused this. It's you. And he said, all right, well, let's prove this. Let's prove which God is real. Actually, he didn't tell them uh, the, the scenario yet. He just said, you tell all of Israel to meet me on Mount Carmel. You get your 450 prophets of Baal and you get 400 uh, of Jezebel's personal prophets and you bring them up to the mountain. And then he addressed the crowd and told the crowd of Israel, How long halt you between two opinions? If God be God, serve him. If Baal be God, serve him. But choose. And unfortunately, they answered him, not a word. And so what he did is he said, let's fine. Let's do this. We're both going to pray. And the God that rains down fire from heaven, the God that answers prayer, he's the real God. They said, we can live with that. And so we let the 450 prophets of Baal go first. So they started in the morning. They put their altar together. They put the uh, sacrifice on the altar and they began to pray. And nothing happened. Elijah couldn't help but to, to poke him a little bit and said, Hey, maybe your God's asleep. Maybe you got to yell louder to wake him up. Maybe he's on vacation. And so he jeered them, and so they got desperate, and they started to stand on top of the altar, which is an amazing thing to me. They want fire to come from heaven, and they're standing on the altar praying that their God would bring down fire. Well, he didn't. They began to cut themselves, and they went from morning all the way to the evening meal. Nothing happened. Finally, Elijah said, all right, I've given you enough time. And he... <coughs> Begin to pray. He put the altar together. He brought 12 barrels of water. And poured it on the altar. To prove that this was no trick. And the fire of God came down. After a simple prayer. And everyone recognized. That the God in heaven was true. Because of answers to prayer. And the people chose God. And they took the 450 prophets of Baal. And they killed them. Because their God wasn't real. And they were the ones troubling Israel. And so that's a great victory. You'd almost imagine after that. That Elijah would be on cloud nine. But that's not what happened at all. Notice if you don't mind. As we turn to the Bible. In the book of 1 Kings chapter 19. And notice with me what occurs. 1 Kings chapter 19. And notice with me in verse number 1. It says that Ahab told Jezebel all that Elijah had done and how and withal how he had slain the prophets with a sword. And Jezebel sent a messenger unto Elijah saying, so let the gods do to 
me, and more so if I make not thy life as the life of one of them by tomorrow about this day. So one day Elijah's going, all right, we, we got victory. Everyone's recognizing that there's one great God. This is great. The next day he receives a letter from Jezebel that says, I'm going to kill you. And all of a sudden, he went into a deep, deep depression. You know, say, what happened? What happened is this. That after a great victory, often comes a low valley. Why is that? Because during the victory, we are anticipating, we're looking to God. We have the whole armor of God on. We're depending on Him. And then after the victory, we relax. Take off our armor of God. We stop being vigilant. And we leave ourselves vulnerable. And that's what happened to Elijah. He left himself vulnerable. And now because of the threat of a woman. 450 prophets did not scare him. The letter of one woman frightened him to death. And he grew depressed. And there's nothing more pitiful than the sight of a man who is crushed. So Elijah runs. He goes to Beersheba which is to the next country south and goes to the city to the very southern part of that country and he hides. He sits underneath a juniper tree all by himself and he begs God to let him die. Notice with me in verse number four. But he himself went a day's journey into the wilderness and came and sat down under a juniper tree and he requested for himself that he might die and he said, it is enough. Now, O Lord, take my life, for I am not better than my father's. I am not better than my father's. He's so discouraged that he begs God to kill him. And so we have a great man, a man who's trusted in God, a dependent on God, a man who's seen a great victory, who is now crushed. He is destroyed. And the simple message that God tells to him at this time is that the journey is too great for thee. The journey is too great for thee. And there's probably no other words that is truer for us to understand life is that the journey is too great for thee. God never designed the life for you to live it by yourself. He never designed life for you to pick yourself up by the bootstraps and for you just to press your way forward. That's why people feel so frustrated is because they look at life and it's so overwhelming and it's so crushing and they don't know how to get victory over it and they just see the defeats and they see the things around them and it brings them to soul-crushing defeat. But God didn't design this life for us to live by ourselves, The journey is too great for thee. There's often a misquoted scripture. Found in the book of Corinthians. That says that God will not give us more than we can handle. And they stop there. And they said God will never give us more than we can handle. And they kind of do a whimsical hope. Well God won't give me more than they can handle. But the verse goes on. And he says that he will not give us more than we can handle. Without a way of escape. What is the way of escape? That's Jesus. Oftentimes God will give us more than we can handle. So we have no other choice but to trust in Jesus. God never intended the life that we have to be lived by ourselves, by our own strength. He does not want you to attempt to live your life. And that's where we find Elijah. 
is that when he started to trust in his own strength, it could not stand. God has designed this life that we live for us to be dependent upon God for everything. The journey is too great for thee. And so if you don't mind, I'd like to take this passage here in 1 Kings chapter 19. And I'd like to show you some things of dealing with Elisha and dealing with what God is doing with Elisha during this time that we can understand that the journey is too great for thee. Now, of course, as we come here, we could see that Elisha doesn't look that strong at all. But before we start, I think it's proper if we could talk about the secret of this man's strength. The secret of this man's strength. Where did Elijah get this strength and the boldness? Where did it come from for him to stand before the 450 prophets of Baal? To stand before a crowd that didn't choose him. He was all by himself. Where was it that he could stand before Ahab? Where did he get this? Well, this strength came from him living in God. Now at this time, we know that he's under the emergency care of the angels. But where did he get this strength? Where did he get this strength? Notice with me. Let's see a couple things. Notice with me, if you don't mind, in 1 Kings chapter 17 and verse 1. 1 Kings chapter 17 and verse 1. It says, And Elisha the Tishbite, who was in the inhabitants of Gilead, said to Ahab, As the Lord God of Israel liveth, notice this, before whom I stand. So as he's talking to Ahab, he says, the same time I'm talking to you, I'm also in the presence of God. That the presence of God was the secret of his strength. Notice that you don't mind the words used in verses 2 and 3. And the word of the Lord came unto him saying, get thee hence and turn thee eastward and hide thyself. What well, we see that there was a time that he had to hide himself. Notice with me in chapter 18 and verse 1. <coughs> It says, and it came to pass after many days, the word of the Lord came to Elijah in the third day saying, go show thyself. What we see here is that our problem is that we try to show ourselves before we hid ourselves in God. What do we mean by this? We understand that the first call in anyone's life is to be with him. Hold your finger here and turn with me to the gospel record of Mark. The gospel record of Mark. We're coming back to 1 Kings 19. But what we're trying to do is we're trying to explain where did Elijah get his strength? Where did it come from? We want to see this secret, this open secret found in the Bible. 1 Kings, or sorry, in the book of Mark, chapter number 3. And if you don't mind, Mark chapter 3, notice what is said as Jesus is pulling his disciples with him. Notice, if you don't mind, starting at verse 13. 1 Kings chapter 3 and verse 13. And he, that's Jesus, goeth up into a mountain and calleth unto him whom he would, and they came unto him. Verse 14. And he, that's Jesus, ordained or chose twelve that they should be with him and that he might send them forth to preach. In verse number 14, if we ask the question, why did God choose the twelve? A common answer is so they could be sent forth to preach. But you know that's not the correct answer. Notice again in verse 14. It says, And he ordained twelve that they should be with him. 
And it was after they were with him, they would be sent forth to preach. Until someone has spent time with God, they don't have a message to give. What is the secret of Elisha's power? The secret of this man's strength? He was with the Lord. And before he showed himself in public, there was a time he hid himself with the Lord. He spent time with God. That is where he got his strength, was to be with him. Now we know that as New Testament Christians, we have the great privilege of being with him in two ways. That when we read the Bible, he speaks to us. And that when we pray, we speak to him. We spend time with God in those two ways of being with him. Getting alone with him in prayer. Being alone with him in Bible reading. That's where the secret of our strength is. How can we face a world that is against us? And by the way, if you haven't figured it out, the world is against us. How do we face that world? We first have to be with him. How do you face the problems of your family? And they're very real problems. You don't don't go abracadabra and they go away. How do you face those things that are overwhelming? You have to be with him. How do you deal with work and those people that don't understand you and look at you sideways? You first have to be with him. When you're at the place of overwhelming finances and the things crushing upon you and you don't know how to order them. What's the secret? How do you get your strength? To be with him. That is the strength of Elijah. That remember the journey is too great for thee. God never intended for you to live it on your own. He designed it so we would be dependent on him and he would live the life and give us the strength. That is what God has designed it to do. As we turn back to 1 Kings chapter number 19, once again we see Elijah. And he doesn't look that strong right now, but he's broken. He's defeated. Notice as he now goes into this depression, notice how God treats him and takes care of him. Now, of course, in verse number 4, he says, God, it's enough. It's enough. I don't know if you've ever been there, but that's where Elisha was. He says, it's enough. He says, I don't want to live another day. I don't think I can live another day. It'd be just simpler for me just to go to sleep and not wake up. And so he asked God, just kill me. And he went to sleep with the expectation that he would not wake up. In fact, when he woke up, he was disappointed. He was ready for it to be over with. He is that weak right now, that broken, that depressed. He says, it's enough. It's enough. Notice what happens as God gives him supernatural care now. And as he lay and slept under a juniper tree, behold, then an angel touched him and said, Arise and eat. Now notice in verse 6, He looked and behold, there was a cake bacon on coals and a cruise of water at his head. And he did eat and drink and he lay down again. So as he's broken, as he's laying there, he wants to die. God had prepared supernatural care, emergency care from the angels, taking care of Elijah during this special time. And when Elijah woke up, God didn't chastise him. He didn't say, shape up. He didn't say anything. Just rise and eat. Get you something to eat. You're not ready to deal with this yet. Just get something to eat. Let's get you physically back on track. Then we'll take care of you mentally and spiritually. Notice that tender care that he has. Just trying to get him functioning again. And then we'll take care of this depression. We'll take care of the cause of it. 
Right now, we're just trying to get you to rise up and eat, get some good rest. We'll take care of you. And I'm glad that God cares about our physical being as well as our spiritual being. And sometimes it's just those little things that gives us enough strength that we can function a little bit more and face it. It's when we're tired, it's when we're weak, it's when we're frail that we're even more open to this depression. But God didn't chastise him. He didn't say, pick yourself up. What are you doing here? He's just giving him a time here to rest, eat, to care for him. God knows the severity of our needs. He knows when the birds can care for us. He knows when the widows can take care of us. Then he knows when we need that supernatural care. He cares for us. He allows Elijah to rest. He allows him to eat. He allows him to drink. And he said, we'll talk again later. But we see the secret here. <laughs> the journey is too great for them. What was the secret of this man, by the way? We, he doesn't look strong. But where was his secret just a couple days ago? What was it? It wasn't him. He recognized the journey was too great for them. He had to be dependent on the Lord. Which brings me to the second thing. Not only the secret of this man's strength, but I want to show you this. The still, small voice. The still, small voice. You know, at some time in our life, we will all find ourselves broken. Every single one of us will come to the place where we're at the end of ourselves. Where we can't go on, we can't move forward. We'll feel like we'll no longer be able to serve the Lord. But let me tell you that God loves you. And he cares for you. And he wants you. He wants to use you. You might remember Peter. Peter failed God. He, he started off earlier in that day that, God, I'll never leave you. I'll never forsake you. I'll stay with you even to the end of death. Jesus looked at him and said, I'm praying for you. Because by the end of the day, you're going to deny me thrice. And at that time... Peter didn't believe that. He thought he would be strong enough. But when it came time to it, because the journey is too great for thee, because he was depending on his own strength, he failed God. And didn't just fail God, he failed God three times in a row. The same thing. After this, there was no more broken man than Peter. It says that he went away and wept bitterly. He was broken. He was done. He wanted to quit. You know what the good news was? That when Jesus arose again the third day and he sent the messengers, he said, go tell the disciples and Peter. You make sure you tell Peter that I'm risen again. I want Peter to get that encouragement that he's not done. He's not over with. I haven't washed my hands of him. I still got a plan for him. That the journey is too great for them. But God had a plan. But we will all find ourselves at one point or another when we're broken. But notice as God's teaching Elisha during this time. Notice as we go on. <laughs> In verse number 8. And he arose, that's Elijah, and did eat and drink and went to the strength of that meat 40 days and 40 nights into Horeb, the mount of God. Horeb, by the way, is Mount Sinai. So he went to where Moses had talked to God. And he spends 40 days and 40 nights, one of only three people that fasted 40 days and 40 nights based off of God's strength. And he came thither into a cave and lodged there. And behold, the word of the God came to him. And he said unto him, What doest thou here, Elijah? Now, God starts probing him with questions. Remember, questions convict, statements accuse. 
God's trying to probe him to get an answer, to get him thinking. And so we ask a question, Elijah, what doest thou here, Elijah? Why are you here? Elijah answers in verse number 10. He says, I have been very jealous for the Lord God of hosts and the children of Israel have forsaken thy covenant, thrown down thine altars and slain thy prophets with the sword. And I, even I only am left and they seek my life to take it away. Now, he's got a legitimate complaint, but the problem is, is his views on the wrong thing. He's looking at himself. I'm the only one that serves you. No one wants to go on. Everyone else has failed you. And I'm the one. I'm working so hard for you. And I put everything into it. And I don't have anything to show for it. And he's looking at himself at this time. He's got the poochy lip disease. Probably you've been there, right? Nobody likes me. Everybody hates me. Think I'll eat some worms. Woohoo. He's looking at himself. And all he's seeing is him. And God's trying to get him to get his view off of him. But he starts off with this question to kind of establish his baseline, to establish where he's at right now. I've done my best and all I got from this is they just want to kill me. I've done my best and I have nothing to show for it. It's enough to get anyone in a depression. I've done my best and it hasn't worked. It's a failure. Nobody appreciates what I do. So God, instead of directly answering his question, he's trying to teach him that the journey is too great for them. Elijah, you're, you can't depend upon yourself. It's not going to work. You have to trust in God. So notice what he does in verse number 11. And he, that's God, says, go forth and stand upon the mountain before the Lord. And behold, the Lord passed by, and a great and strong wind rent the mountains and break in pieces the rocks before the Lord. Now, could you imagine this? Elijah, what are you doing in here? Well, I'm the only one that serves you, and nobody likes me, and nobody's buying me coffee anymore. It's just not right. It's not fair. And we can laugh at it, but we've all been there. And God says, go outside. I want to show you something. So Elijah goes outside. And can you imagine the sight as God went by and it shook the mountains and rocks began to fall and everything's falling apart. But God says something very interesting after this. Notice what it says at the end of verse, uh, at this segment in verse 11. It says, but the Lord was not in the wind. That was not God speaking. Notice as it goes on in verse 11. <laughs> it says, after the wind, an earthquake. So you watch these mountains. The wind comes by and the rocks fall. And then there's a great earthquake. And he's grabbing a hold. And can you imagine having the ground rolling underneath you and can't get stabilized? But then the Bible says this. But God was not in the earthquake. Notice as it goes on. In verse number 12. And after the earthquake. A fire. So as he's watching. The wind comes. The rocks fall. Then an earthquake hits. And then a, like a tornado of fire. Passes by him. But the Bible says this. But God is not in the fire. You say what in the world is this? What God is doing is he's trying to teach Elijah how to get back to have this strength.
that the journey is too great for them. He's trying to get his eyes off. And how's he doing it? Because he's showing them what God is not in. You know, our lives are so loud. So chaotic. Think about your own mind space. It's not organized. Often it's cluttered. And whether you are a guy or a girl, guys have emotions too. You're emotional. And your heart will lie to you. Do you realize that? The Bible says that your heart is wicked. Desperately wicked. It is deceitful. Your own heart will lie to you. What do I mean by that? Your heart will tell you lies. That girl over there, she hates me. How do you know she hates me? I just know. She may not even know you exist. Your feelings can lie to you. Your feelings can deceive you. We, we're so chaotic in our lives and our minds and whatnot that oftentimes we expect that if God's going to speak to me, he's going to put something in my path. Well, God put, had a lot of stuff going in his path. There was an earthquake. There was the wind that rocked down the mountains. There was a fire. And you know, half of us expect God to do something like that, to get in our way. To slap us on the head. To do something and said, stop. We expect half the time for God to speak to us like this. That we expect God to supernaturally over and over and over to do something in our life. But that is not how God works. How does God work? Notice again in verse 12. And after the earthquake of fire... But the Lord was not in the fire. And after the fire, a still, small voice. What is this still, small voice? Well, we understand that the moment that you accept Jesus Christ as your personal Savior, the Bible has an event that it calls born again. Jesus said to Nicodemus, Verily, verily, I say unto you, you must be born again. The moment that you accept Jesus as your Savior, the Holy Spirit of God, who is God, comes to dwell within our hearts and he makes us a new creature. Then the Holy Spirit of God is able to speak to us and direct to us. Now it's not an audible voice, it's not hearing voices in your head, but he is, it's almost as if it was an audible voice if you learn how to listen to it. You say, how do I listen to it? Well, do you know that right now, there are some of the most ungodly sounds you have ever heard in this room right now. Imagine that. The most ungodly, the things that you would blush if you knew that was going on. But if you had a radio or a TV and tune it in, you could receive it. The Bible says that he speaks to us in a still, small voice. And he speaks in a whisper. Meaning that he's not loud. We expect God to in a loud voice, stop! But God says no. He speaks in a still small voice. And the only time that we could pay attention to it is when we're still and quiet. Because God is not a chaotic God. He is a God who is always under control. He's a God who knows what he's doing. He's a God who wants us to put forth the effort to seek him. He is not going to jump and force himself in our way. But he wants us to calm down and to quietly 
look for him. And he will be found of him. To illustrate this, I've done this with teenagers before, is that we would have a youth activity and we would have a couple of kids matched up and we would have some of them blindfolded and we'd have the rest of the room loud and kids yelling and, and talking and whatnot. And we would have the kids that are blindfolded be led by some other kids that are whispering to them, take a step to your left. Come on. And their goal is to guide them through the rest of the room. Now, we can't make the rest of the room shut up. You can't make life be quiet. But you could be still and listen and be guided. Now, why is this such an important thing? Because the journey is too great for thee. And when we try to do it by ourselves and we're not trusting in God and we're not listening to God, we miss Him guiding us. We're going around blinded our own self. We're trying to depend on our emotions and what we feel like. And that's always a bad idea. We're trying to use our own strength. I could do this. I could do this. And then we wonder why we're being resistant and things are falling apart. God is just patiently waiting and said, whenever you're ready, I'm glad to guide you. But he wants us to be still and know that he is God. And God wants to guide us. He has his precious word. He has his spirit to guide us. But he wants us to look for him. To seek for him. To want to listen to him. You know, it takes no effort on our part for God to smack us on the face and say, go this way. It takes nothing for a boulder to fall in front of us and we have no other choice but to go a different way. But God wants us to put forth the effort to be quiet and say, God, I need you. And when we put forth the effort, he says, let me show you and takes us by the hand and guides us. See, God just wants us to look for him. It takes no faith whatsoever for an earthquake to get in our path. For something to jumble us. Now God will sometimes use that to get our attention. But that's not how he speaks to us. He speaks to us that still small voice. That only comes when we are quiet. And prepared to listen to us. Remember during this time that God is facing Ahab and Jezebel. And someone says, why doesn't God just kill them? Because God doesn't kill our pharaohs. But he goes with us to face them. Why doesn't God just bring lightning to that person at work? Things would be a lot easier if that person would just be gone. Because he wants to go with you to face those things. That's how God works. He doesn't remove those obstacles but he speaks with us to guide us past them. That still, small voice. Again, why is this so important? Because the journey is too great for you. You can't do it on yourself. You need God's guidance. You need God's help. You need God to move you and to guide you around. And you need him. And God wants you to look for him and need him. God needs you to need him. Which brings us to one last thing. As we're coming to this idea that the journey is too great for thee. And we're dealing with Elijah. What was his complaint? What was his thing? It's me by myself. I'm the only one that 
wants to serve you. I'm the only one that wants to do right. Well, God speaks to him, this still small voice, and he guides him. Notice, if you don't mind, the last thing here. The 7,000 that didn't bow the knee. The 7,000 that didn't bow the knee. Now he's dealing specifically with a preacher here. And notice with me, if you don't mind, as Elijah has continued to be dealt with. In verse number 13, God re-asks the question. He's re-evaluating. He's giving Elijah the test again. Verse 13, And it was so when Elijah heard it, he wrapped his face around his mantle and went out and stood on the entering of the cave. And behold, there came a voice unto him and said, What doest thou here, Elijah? Now, just to show that depression doesn't necessarily evaporate just like that. God says, What do you do here, Elijah? And he gives the same answer as he did before he says, I have been very jealous for the Lord God of hosts because the children of Israel have forsaken thy covenant, thrown down thy altars, and slain thy prophets with the sword. And I, even I only, am left. And they seek my life to take it away. And God says, well, let me tell you what I'm going to do about that. He says, the Lord said unto him, go thy way to the wilderness in Damascus. And he gives him some things he's going to do. The most important of all is he says, I'm going to have you anoint Elisha. He says, I got some plans for you. And one of them is I want you to train someone else. If no one else is going to be out there standing with you, then you have the responsibility to go lead some of the Lord and train them yourself. But then God says, I want you to know this. Notice with me, if you don't mind, as it comes to um, verse number 18. Yet, I have left me 7,000 in Israel all the knees which have not bowed unto Baal, and every mouth which has not kissed him. He says, Elijah, I got some plans for you, and I want you to take care of this. And I want you to anoint an Elisha, and I want you to train and disciple him, and he's going to take your place. But he says, I want to let you know something, you're not the only one. There are 7,000 that believe just like you do. There are 7,000 that haven't bowed their knee. 7,000 that are still serving God in Israel. I'm not left by myself and you're not left by yourself you know as dealing with the idea of a preacher this is an encouraging thing because oftentimes again we're dealing with a sick man a man who is sick in depression he is hurting and he needs more divine medicine so God is telling him there are 7,000 that have it bound the knee you're not the only one Oftentimes, pastors can get to this Elijah syndrome where they feel like, I'm the only one that's trying to do something. I'm the only one that wants to serve God. I'm serving a bunch of people. They don't even care. Half of them don't want to serve God themselves. They want to serve God at a part-time basis. I'm the only one. No one believes like me. We look at other churches and we see them falling apart. We see different things going on that are against the Bible. And the preachers can get to the place. But God says, you're not the only one. Again, the thing with depression is that oftentimes we get so self-centered, we don't see everything else. And God says, you may not see it, but you're not the only one. I've got 7,000. You know, that is an encouragement to let you know that you're not the only one that's trying to do what's right. You're not the only one that's going out there. This morning, I took time to text oh, probably about 20 preachers just to say the simple message, there are 7,000 that haven't bowed the knee to Baal. And every preacher that I know said, that saying is more encouraging than other things I could say. 
Just that reminder. They're not the only one. We're not isolated by ourselves. God is still doing a work. And if it was up to me alone, we're doomed. No one can handle that pressure of doing all God's work by themselves. Nobody can handle that pressure. You know the only thing that I'm supposed to do? What God has assigned me to do. It's not my job to make all of Wisconsin follow God. My only job is to be the messenger boy and tell anybody that God puts in my path. That takes pressure off. I can't handle the load of doing everything myself. The only thing I'm supposed to do is what God has given me and in God's strength. Because the journey is too great for me. God is always at work. Now this is important. You know they did a survey of preachers who left the ministry. And 70% of the preachers who left the ministry said the reason why they left is because no one cares if I live or die. They get to the place where they feel that isolated and that alone. That they honestly do not believe that anybody cares whether they even exist anymore. And you know what they need? They need to be reminded that they're not the only ones. That God's work is not dependent upon them. God's work is dependent on God. I'm just supposed to do what I am supposed to do. And trust God the whole way. That God, the journey is too great for thee. The work is bigger than any one man. And this is an encouragement, especially for those in the ministry, that you're not the only one. God is still working. So we come to a man who's come in his life where he's depressed. And again, aren't you glad that God is real? He doesn't sugarcoat it and whitewash it and just say all the good things about Elijah. But we see that this is a man who's not a super Christian. He's a person just like you and I. And he goes through the same things that you and I go through. He goes through the times where he gets his eyes off the Lord and he's looking at himself. And he's so discouraged and so disappointed. And he feels like all of his life's a failure. And God says, no, 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 listen, the journey's too great for you. This life was never intended for you to try to shoulder it yourself. This life was made for us to trust in God and allow God to do his own work. We could trust in him. So let me ask you, where are you at? If you're under a depression, let me tell you that there's a wonderful God who wants to encourage you. The journey is too great for thee. You don't have to depend upon yourself alone. Trust in God. You say, how do I do that? Let me tell you, if you're at the place where you're at a depression, what you need is trusting in God, faith in God. You need more of the word of God. You need to get to that diet of seeing it for yourself, of trusting in him. You need that good rest and that physical meal, but you also need that spiritual meal. You need to be in God's word. You need it more than ever. And you need to be reminded that God is able to help you. You just need to be quiet. And God can help you. He can guide you. You're not in it by yourself. And that there's 7,000 that haven't bowed the knee. You're not the only one in your situation. God has helped many before. And he's willing to help you too. You're not by yourself. The journey is too great for thee. 
Thank you for listening to this audio message. This is Pastor Scotty Bockhaus, and I encourage you to take this information that you just received and make a specific decision to follow after the Lord. If you don't know Jesus Christ as your Savior, let me beg you to take the time to receive Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins. If you are saved, I encourage you to make a decision in your life to help you get closer with the Lord. If there's anything specific we can do to be a blessing or to pray for you, we encourage you. Look us up on the internet at riverviewbc.com. Once again, that's riverviewbc.com. Or if you would prefer to call us, you can give us a call at area code 920 920- Five three zero six three zero eight. Once again, that number is nine two zero five three zero six three zero eight. If there's anything we can do to be a blessing or an encouragement to you, please let us know. We would love to make ourselves available. Thank you.